Turn with me, please, in the scriptures to Romans, the 12th chapter. Then I think we'll look at 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 6. In Romans 12 and uh, 1, Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It matters to God what we do with our body. You believe it? Yes. Some folks will try to imply, oh, it's on, God only cares about spiritual things. He don't, uh, no, that's not true. He does care about spiritual things, obviously. But he also cares about your body and my body. What we do with this body right now is very important to him. Did you know that this body, put your hand on it somewhere. This, this body has been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ himself with his own blood. And it is, he has made, now I hope you are you awake? He has made this body a permanent eternal part of the body of Christ. You might say, oh, I don't know about that, Brother Keith. I, I'll be glad when I get rid of this one and, and I get my new body. No, it's going to be this body glorified. Even if this body is buried and decomposes, that is not the end of this body. The Lord has bought and paid for every molecule of it. And even if some believer died out in the Sahara Desert a thousand years ago, and their bones were bleached and blown to the four winds, when he comes... <laughs> Hallelujah. And the trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ are going to rise. No matter where they are. Or where their ashes or particles were scattered to. That's going to be an amazing thing to see. It's going to come together from the four corners. Together. And the glory is going to hit it. And go through it. And the mortal will become immortal. And the corruptible will no longer be corruptible. And you'll have a body. This body will be made like unto the Lord Jesus' glorious body. It'll be made like His. It'll never grow old. It'll never decay. It'll never wear out. You'll finally have a body that can keep up with your spirit. <laughs> How do we get into all that? Well, this body matters. And it matters what we do with it down here. Now look in verse 2. Romans 12, 2. He said, and be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me read that to you from some other translations. The first phrase says, don't be conformed to this world. That could also be translated, don't be conformed to this age, this present age. 
God's Word translation says, don't become like the people of this world. Why would you need to tell church people that? Don't become like the people of this present age, like the people of the ungodly world. The the Living Bible says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The Weiss translation says, don't be patterned after this age. That's what conform means, is to become the same as, to become like, to become the same as this world. Listen to the message on this. The message translation says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Now, you, you'll hear modern ministers talking about adapting to the present modern culture so as to be relevant. Well, how do you reconcile that with this? Don't become like the world. The more like the world we are, the less we're able to reach the world. The more like the world we are, someone said, well, we're reaching a lot of people. With what? (laughs) Social reform? Moral encouragement? That doesn't save. You must be born again. And the gospel is offensive to the ungodly. And if you water it and compromise it until it's no longer offensive, it's no longer the gospel. Somebody said, don't be conformed. Don't be like the world. Well, if you're not going to be like the world, what are you going to be like? If you're not like the unsaved, ungodly, You're going to stand out. You're you're going to be different. And people who are not ready to receive him, they are not going to approve of that. You're not going to approve of them, and they're not going to approve of you. So how's that going to work? It won't. It's called persecution. (laughs) Y'all okay? Hold on. You go to 2 Corinthians 6, and on the screen, put up for us 2 Timothy 3.12. This passage says, yeah, yes, and all. Who? How many? All. Is that everybody? 2 Timothy 3.12. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus might, some will, all will. All what? Shall suffer. Not being sick. Not being broke. You'll suffer persecution. In fact, the Lord said, if you give up things, especially, you know, monetary things, for the gospel's sake in the kingdom, you'll receive in this lifetime a hundredfold. Am I quoting scripture? With persecutions. 
Now, I know you might think you'd like to leave that part off. But, uh, you know, if you wonder about that, then just become a preacher and get an airplane. (laughs) And see if everybody likes that. (laughs) Now, golfers can have airplanes because that's important. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Somebody said, what does a preacher need with an airplane? Go places? Yes. Come back? Yes. Save whole days and weeks out of your year? Yes. yes. Wind right. up doing more? Yes. <laughs> you know, there's guys that own uh, brake pad companies that have jets. Yes. Nobody's upset. The world's not upset about that. No. no. Why? Because brakes are important. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, if you sow and you reap substantially, yes. not everybody's going to be happy about that. And they're not going to care what you sowed. They don't want to know what you've done and what you hadn't done. You don't have to be a liar and a thief to prosper. <laughs> but you've got to be willing as a, a child of God. Or a minister who prospers, or a child of God who prospers the right way, you got to you, you need to be ready. You got to be willing to take some flack about it, and take some heat about it without losing your cool, losing your salvation. The Lord told you, with the hundredfold comes the persecutions, and though you might try as you might, you can't separate that out of that verse. It just comes with. <laughs> I was preaching about some of this a while back and Brother Kenneth Copeland and Miss Gloria Copeland were with us in the service and I said, man, you, you know, if you receive a, a billion dollars and, and that was published, you know, don't you think there'd be persecution about that? And uh, Miss Gloria yelled out and said, you'd get over it. <laughs> and you will get over it, is that right? You need to ask yourself when people are so vocal about who are they and what does it matter what they're saying? Especially people don't even know you. What does it matter? Well, it's obvious they don't know what they're talking about. They don't even know you. But uh, persecution comes with. And if you live, come on, look at it again. How many? All that will live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Shall suffer some persecution. What if you're never persecuted? (laughs) What if everybody likes you? It's not a good sign. Everybody agrees with everything you believe. I'm talking about everybody. All unsaved people and people of other religions, everybody just happy with you? That's not how they were with Jesus. If we're going to be like him, that's godly. And if we believe the right thing and live the right thing, you will suffer some persecution. Because the ungodly world has very strong feelings when you are uncompromising on the truth of the word. 
you'll be called names. Ugly ones. And if you can't bear it, you'll back off. And you'll compromise and become like them. Conformed to this world. Are you interested in not conforming, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind? So that you can discern, detect, know, prove what is the good, the well-pleasing, the complete will of God. Thank you, Lord. Look in 2 Corinthians, where you're holding your place, I think. 2 Corinthians 6.14. He said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? The answer to these is, is none. None. Keep going. What concord has Christ with Belial, a name for the, the devil? None. What part has he that believes with an infidel? How much in common are you going to have with somebody who's convinced that they're an atheist? Now, you don't have to be ugly. You don't have to be rude. But if they really believe that, and you really believe what you believe, you don't have enough in common to do a lot of things. I mean, you might do a job together, you might complete an assignment, but if you spend a lot of time with people and you get close, you're sharing things in common with them. Because if most of it you don't share in common with them, you won't be comfortable around them, they won't be comfortable around you. And here's the thing, I'll just, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but if you fellowship a lot with people, you are fellowshipping also with whatever spirits right. they yield to. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Which is why if they don't like the Holy Spirit <laughs> and you don't like a wrong spirit, how much time can you spend together? And if you spend a lot of time with people, you're going one way or the other. They're coming your way or you're going their way. Didn't the Bible say evil communications corrupt good manners? He that walks with wise men will be wise, Proverbs says. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. Why? Because if you enjoy hanging out with fools, (laughs) right? What does that say about you? There's a lot of fool in you. Is that right? Because if you really, really didn't like foolish stuff, it would bother you hanging out with them all the time. And what you got to watch, the enemy is so subtle. He's so subtle. What he wants you to do is to be deceived into thinking, yeah, but God loves them and I love them and and I need to show them the love of God And maybe they don't want to hear the love of God, but you spend enough time with them until their evil stops bothering you. And you become like them and you haven't realized what has happened to you over the last eight months, two years, whatever. Back two years ago, that bothered you when they cussed and used those words and when they said those things, told those ugly jokes and and did this and that but you've heard it so much now 
until you don't even wince. In fact, you laugh at them. Once in a while, you'll remind them that's not good, but you don't realize you have become like them. Conformity. And the Lord gave me this phrase years ago. Tolerance is the first step to conformity. Tolerance. The enemy knows if you love God and you're living right, he knows he can't get you to just jump from there to just full-blown sinning in that area. So what's his tactic? To get you around somebody else that's yielding to those spirits and get you to tolerate it. Maybe in your mind you're thinking, I'm not going to do it. But you tolerate it because it's them. And he especially, if he can't get you off track, he'll try to get people close to you. Loved ones, kids, friends, siblings that are yielding to it. And he's counting on you loving that flesh so much that you'll tolerate and yield to what they're yielding to. And he doesn't care if it takes 10 years to get you conformed into that. Or 20. He'll plant a seed, try to keep you, you know, keep tolerating more, tolerating more, tolerating more. And you don't realize you're becoming used to it. You don't notice it. And you're becoming like it. Tolerance is the first step toward conformity. And isn't that one of the most used buzzwords of the day? That we are to be inclusive. That's another one, right? Inclusive and tolerant. Because Jesus was. Let me give you a real good piece of advice. Don't let unbelievers... Tell you what Jesus preached. Don't sit there and be so ignorant of the scriptures and God that you nod your head when they tell you lies about what, who Jesus is. Unbelievers don't know him at all. You're supposed to know something about him. Don't let unbelievers tell you what Jesus preached and what he lived. The only reason I say that is because the Lord, you know, it's kind of surprised me one day. Years ago, I was watching an interview, internationally known interview host, and there was a well-known preacher on there. One reason I wanted to see it, I know I don't know the guy well, but I've, I've, I've met him, know something about him. And uh, he's a good guy. I like him. And this uh, interviewer, who's not a believer, he's, I think he said that he's not, he was saying, he was talking about some ungodly lifestyles of different kinds, and he said, well, yeah, but now Jesus... He preached love and acceptance, right? And the pastor said, well, yeah. And when he, when he did, the Spirit of God inside me said, no, I didn't. But now that sounds right, doesn't it? Jesus preached love and acceptance. Who's going to disagree with that? The Bible? I said the Bible. Well, that's what he preached. What scripture are you referring to? 
You see how subtle this is? What verses are you talking about? And when, when that, well, the Lord spoke that to my heart, I said, wow, really? <laughs> and I got into the scripture, got into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John took some time. And I went through every place to look at what Jesus preached. You know what he preached? Repentance. <laughs> and the kingdom of God. Now, is there any difference between acceptance and repentance? Do you see how tricky the devil is? How subtle he is. Unbelievers pointing at us, demanding that we be like Jesus and accepting of whatever people want to do. Let's go to another place here. John, thank you, Lord. Seven. John 7, verse 7. Is it true that if you live godly, you'll be persecuted? Yes. How many? All. Are you part of all? Yes. Yep. What if you're never persecuted by anybody for anything? <laughs> you're not living godly. Can't be, because... That verse is true. You have conformed to the world to the point where it doesn't bother you and you don't bother them. In John 7, you know, Jesus' own brothers at one point didn't believe in him, his natural brothers. Later on, they came around, but at this point, they didn't. And he said to them, he said, the world can't hate you, but me, it hates Why? Jesus said, the world hates me. Why does the world hate you, Lord? Come on, read read the verse. Why? Why? Because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And that's why the world hates me. Because I tell them what they're doing is evil. Is that acceptance? Is that inclusion? No. Didn't say he hated the people. Didn't say he was rejecting them, didn't love them, and wouldn't save them. But he won't tell them that what they're doing is okay. That's right. He won't agree with it. That's right. He won't say, well, it's, you know, everybody has to live their own truth. Whatever you think is right. No, no. Jesus would say, that's wrong. That's sin. That's wrong. And he said, they hate me for it. Do you want to be like Jesus? Then if you won't compromise on what's right and what's wrong, you're going to be persecuted and hated like Jesus. Skip on down. We're in John. To the 15th chapter. John 15, 18. He said, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> You're in good company. Right? Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. 
Therefore, the world hates you. Now, just with what we've touched on this week, I know Phyllis has talked about read passages of Scripture that says uh, uh, from Ephesians and Colossians and different places about the husband, the father, being the head of the household, the head of the marriage, the head of the wife. I'm quoting scriptures. That truth is despised in the world. For say even saying that, you'll be called a sexist, a misogynist, and much worse. That you are a relic with archaic sexist beliefs and ideas and who said these things? We're talking about Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter. But people don't want to talk about that. They don't want you to talk about the Bible. They want to talk about what do you believe? And they want to make it about what you believe and what you think versus what I think and argue and fuss. And that's a mistake. Whether it's with your relatives, your friends, your co-workers, anybody else. Don't let them make it about you and them. What you believe, what they believe. Don't let them do it. The reason I know that is because I, I learned it the hard way. One of the first messages I ever preached in a little small denominational church. I had just found out, I don't know, a month or two before. That we'd been redeemed from the curse of the law. Whew. Man, I was on a high. I thought, that is the best news I ever heard. I'm still excited about it. Praise God. Even more than ever. And my little, at my little church, they asked me to speak on a Wednesday night. Well, they hadn't done that before. I thought, this is a sign and a wonder. I mean, I just found out we're redeemed. They asked me to speak on Wednesday night. This, this is the plan of God here, man. So, man, I studied, 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 made me some notes. Of course, wrote them out by hand on a yellow legal pad. This was before the days of computers, I guess. And uh, I got up and I spoke. And I read Deuteronomy 28 about all the bad things in the curse of the law. Then I went over to Galatians 3. And I, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And I just getting to going pretty good. And one of the deacons stood up. And he said, Keith, are you saying we don't have to be sick? I said, yeah. He said, mmm. <laughs> and then he went on to testify about how God had made him sick and taught him some things. Then another person got up and testified about how God stole the child. Uh, they didn't say steal but took the child with disease. And then another one got up and told about you know, how God made them sick. And then the pastor got up and told about how God had made people sick. Well, I'm done. I am done. I was seven, eight minutes into my message, you know, and I'm, I'm done. So I just, they took up the rest of the time testifying about sickness and God. And I went and sat down and I went back home. Man, I was not happy. I thought, Lord, 
that didn't go good because, see, I was thinking it was a sign and a wonder that I got to preach there. It didn't go good at all. I said, Lord, that's, did I do something wrong? What did I do? What did I do? What should I have done? Of course, I'm as green as can be. And I'm laying across the bed and, and the, the Spirit of God quickened to me. And it replayed through my, through my mind. And he said, uh, I don't mean to hurt a voice, but inside me, the way he'll speak to every Christian if you learn to listen. He said, uh, he said Keith, uh, these folks needed about a half teaspoon of faith and healing. You tried to give them a truckload. <laughs> and they choked on it and spit it back at you. <laughs> I thought, okay, all right, I can see that. <laughs> of course, I got no experience at all. And he said, besides that, and it replayed just that, you know how, you, how your mind can do, that um, that deacon got up and he said, Keith, are you saying we don't have to be sick? And I heard myself say, yeah, that's right. And the Lord said, wrong. You didn't say that. I did. He said, don't take credit for what I said. (laughs) He said, because when you say, yeah, this is what I believe, whatever, they don't mind arguing with you. They don't mind shutting you down. But arguing with me is a different thing. What I said. He said, said, you should have taken them back to the scripture. This verse said this. And then let it be between me and them. Well, friend, the reason I'm telling you that, you need to do that yourself. With every family member, with every co-worker, with everybody, don't get into arguing and fussing about what I believe versus what you believe. Because if we really are people of God, we're people of the Word. If you don't respect His Word and you don't care what His Word says and have no intention of living by it, I question whether you've been born again or not. If you don't love the word of God, that's an indication you don't love God himself. The two are inseparable. And he's exalted his word above so many other things. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution and it will be over the word. Remember what we call the parable of the sower? What did the enemy come immediately to do when the word was sown? To steal what? Not their opinions. Not their theories. Not their feelings. To steal what? Because the word, every word that God has said, is an incorruptible, eternal seed. It has life in it. It's quick, quickening, and powerful. Hallelujah. And the thing Phyllis and I were talking about it this week, one of the greatest things we got from Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry is the Word being our ultimate authority and final answer on everything. And I, I grew up in church, but I didn't have that. I didn't see that. And Phyllis was in church, but she didn't see that. But 
getting under his ministry and hearing him preach and talk, he would take everything back to the word. Everything. Everything. And not believe anything else. And even when he's having visions, visitations of the Lord, he would say, now Lord, I, I know I'm seeing you, but the Bible said, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, and I'm going to have to get you to show me some scripture. Now think about this. He's seeing the Lord. You can see one reason why the Lord could show himself to him. Because he's not just infatuated with visions and experiences. He's judging what he's seeing and feeling by the written word of God. In one place, and when the Lord taught him about demons and evil spirits, he, uh, he actually said, Lord, I've read the New Testament over 150 times. Parts of it a lot more than that. If there's anything in there like that, I've never seen it. He said, the Lord said, son, there's a lot in there you hadn't seen. <laughs> he said, well, Lord, I'm going to have to get you to show me some scripture. And the Bible said in the mouth of two or three, he said, you might think, well, the Lord would be irritated. He said he wasn't at all. He said he looked at me and smiled. He said, I'll go you one better. I'll give you four. <laughs> and he took him one by one, gave him four New Testament scriptures that showed what he was saying. But the reason I bring that up, do you see how that was his ultimate authority? It was his final answer, no matter what anybody said or anybody did or he felt or saw, if it didn't line up with the word, we're not going to believe it. We're not going to accept it. We're not going to do it. The scriptures are our foundation. It is our answer. It is the direction of our life. It's the living word of God. Jesus himself is the word made flesh. Hallelujah. Do you love the word? Is it the ultimate and final authority in your life? Is is it the answer to every question? It's supposed to be. Sadly, in most people's life on the planet, it is not. It is not. Go with me to Ephesians 5, please. Ephesians 5. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Ephesians 5, we've already talked about this, but let's look at it again. Ephesians 5, verse 20. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I've heard some people quote that verse and teach what I call mutual submission. They say, well, that means that all of us are supposed to submit to each other equally. That doesn't work. It cannot function. So I said, well, that's what it said to do. No, he's talking to the whole body, the whole church, the whole body of Christ. Submit to each other in the respective places where you should submit. And do it because you respect the Lord. 
Not just because of them, but because you, you fear and reverence the Lord. Then he, specific, he begins to deal with specific places. Verse 22, wives, you submit yourselves. Now never is the husband told to submit himself to the wife. And we're told that the husband is called the head of the wife. Never is the wife called the head of the husband. And yet you'll hear people say, yeah, but we practice mutual submission like the scripture said. No, that's a misunderstanding and a misapplication. The whole church should practice submission in the areas where you're supposed to. The whole family is what he's talking about. Submit one to another in the fear of the Lord. But then he starts zeroing in on specific relationships. And uh, he says, you submit yourself. Well, I'm not quite through with that, Emma. People don't understand what submission is. You don't have an opportunity to submit until you no longer agree. As long as you agree, there's no opportunity to submit. Because you believe the same thing they do. You want to do the same thing they want to do. And you say, well, yeah. I'm, and I've heard people say, well, now usually I submit. But on this time, I just don't agree. <laughs> no, you've never been submitting. And now when you had an opportunity to, you're refusing to. Oh, that's been agreement. And so, submission is the tiebreaker. You know, you, you, I don't care who you're working with or who, you, who you're married to. Or, there's going to come a place somewhere with something where y'all are not on the same page. Y'all don't agree about it. Okay. You say you believe in mutual submission. Whose turn is it to submit? Can you see this doesn't work? Right? Somebody says, well, I submitted last time. Yeah, but this is, this is important. We, we take turns submitting. Mm-mm. No, no, doesn't work. Who submits to who? And why? And it's not just because, it's, people have tried to make it a male and female thing. It's not about male and female. It's about respecting God's choice. Yes. God knew what spirit would be in what body. Right. And he chose and put people in places. And anything you preach about husband and wife, submission and love, That's to be practiced. The husband is to practice that submitting to his pastor. Or the Bible includes civil authorities. It includes people who are over you in the Lord. There's no such thing as just one group that this applies to. Did you know that Jesus himself practices submission? So you shouldn't feel inferior. Because you need to practice submission somewhere. I need to show you scripture, don't I? 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. 26. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is not a friend. It's an enemy. I heard somebody say the other day, you know, boy, they, the Lord took them in sweet death. You need to read your Bible, brother. (laughs) Ain't nothing sweet about death. It's an enemy. And one of these days, it's going to be done. There's going to be no more dying. 
No more decay. It's an enemy. One of these days we'll be done with it. Verse 27. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him. It is manifest that he is accepted or excluded. Which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God, the Father we're talking about, may be all in all. Jesus himself, the head of the church, submits himself to the Father. Yes. So he's not telling you to do something. He doesn't do himself. And every... Uh, Every man is to submit himself to those that are over him. And there are those who are over you, whether you acknowledge it or not. Every man and every woman is to submit to those God told you to submit to. How do we get into that? Thank you, Lord. But, back to Ephesians. These scriptures are the answer to every issue that could possibly happen in a marriage. Every question, every issue that could possibly arise in a marriage is answered right here. What are you talking about, Brother Keith? He said, verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. If you say anything about the husband being the head, and somebody wants to argue with you about it, what should you do? You, you, you mention that verse right there. Don't talk about what you believe, what you think, you know, this right here. Why would you nourish such an archaic, sexist idea? Well, I believe the Bible. Yeah, but there's, there's gay rights, there's lesbian rights, there's women's rights, there's this right. Are there any believer rights? Do I still have a right in this country to believe the Bible? I don't have to be a hater to believe the Bible. I don't have to hate anybody. Why can't I believe the Bible? But will everybody be happy about that? Will everybody oh. accept? No, you, you may be ostracized. That's okay. You'll be called names. That's okay. You'll be treated like you're ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just unenlightened. Mm-hmm. You're a throwback from a previous age. We've been enlightened and delivered beyond all that. You mean beyond Ephesians. <laughs> and that's what they mean. You, you don't respect Ephesians. And as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Every, I won't read the rest of it, you, you've heard it already this week, but every Thing that could possibly come up in a marriage what should the husband do in this situation he should do what Christ does with the church what should the wife do in this situation she should do what the church should do with Christ that's it 
Now, the reason things become confusing is because there are too many choices. <laughs> there are too many choices about what to believe. That's when it becomes complex. Complicate. People say, these are complicated issues. Not if you believe the Bible. It becomes real clear. Real simple. I mean, uh, I went to a restaurant a while back, and it was a good one too. And they didn't have a menu. No menu. And so we asked them, you know, well, what, what's on the menu? They said, no menu. What do you have? Fried chicken. <laughs> what else you have? Fried chicken. You had nothing else but fried chicken? That's it. Fried chicken. So what will you have? <laughs> what will you have today? Man, it didn't take us any time. Is that right? I didn't labor over the decision. Huh? There were no debates and discussions about what we're going to eat today. Because there's only fried chicken is only one choice. For the believer, there should only be one choice. What did the word say? What did the word say? What, what are you going to believe? To the best of my understanding and ability, I'm going to believe what this book says. And when I get more light on it, I'll believe that and walk in that. And how many understand? That'll keep you busy. Right? That'll keep you busy every day and every night walking in the light of what you see in his word. If you do love him, then you'll love his word. And even if you're going the wrong way, if he tells you in his word he doesn't want you to go that way, that this is his will, not that, then for you, that's it. It's over. It's settled. You've got his word. Now, there's no, there are no other options. No matter what the world is doing, there are no other options. I want to talk about another issue here for a little bit. That is, uh, it's a big thing in our time. It has been for a lot of times. But what about so-called LBGT? What about same sex? What do you believe about that? Well, I've already told you the right answer, but <laughs> There's, are there different opinions about this? What does the word say? Hmm? I'm going to read some scriptures to you, then I want to take you to some scriptures. Genesis 1:27 said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And the issue is what people call gender identity. People say, I don't identify with the gender I was assigned. You'll hear that phrase. I was assigned this gender at birth. I was assigned male gender but I don't feel like a male. I feel like a woman. So I identify as a woman. And you'll find that this issue has become more and more and more complex. It used to be LGB. Then it's LGBT and LGBTQ. 
Q, and now there's recently about three more added to it. I'm not exaggerating. There's lesbian, there's gay, there's bisexual, there's transgender, transsexual, queer, bigender, pangender, gender fluid, and non-binary. Now, people are very serious about this. What, what does this mean? I, I overheard a talk show host in interviewing a woman about her young son, just a child, and referred to, you know, how's he doing? And she said, well, we don't call him he. Well, you just contradicted yourself. What do we call it? She said, well, some days he feels like a boy. So I treat him like a boy. But then other days he feels more like a girl. So I treat him like a girl. And I'm not mocking. I'm not making fun. This is serious business. And people are hurting. And people are committing suicide. Over these kind of struggles. And inner turmoils. And what many are convinced. Because these feelings are so strong. And so real. And they are. That God made me this way. So if he made me this way. How could he be displeased. With how he made me. And you'll hear people say. I I was born this way. And I used to. You know imply that 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 wasn't the case. But the Lord corrected me. You remember John the Baptist. He was filled with the spirit. In his mother's womb. He was influenced by a spirit before he was ever born. Well, if you can be influenced by the Holy Spirit, you can be influenced by wrong spirits. And what people don't are not acknowledging is that whatever spirit you yield to, you take on that spirit's characteristics. You begin to act like that spirit. The Bible refers to evil spirits, unclean spirits, Dumb, deaf spirits, etc., etc., and you see those characteristics were manifested in the bodies of the people who had yielded to them, even if they yielded to them ignorantly. And here we got a whole society, even in our own country, encouraging little ones who don't know anything to yield to whatever feeling or suggestion comes to them and are encouraging them to go with it, whatever you feel at the time. That is so dangerous. And it is, it is so awful to live decade in, decade out, not knowing who you are, what you are, changing your designation every few years or months. It's not right. But if you don't agree with it, you'll be labeled homophobe. You'll be labeled hater. That you preach hate. That you are a hater. No. I don't have to hate anybody. To say that God's word is right. And we're not talking about judging. Anybody for a sin. You should not do that. Because you yourself. Have sinned. So many times. Right? And don't raise any hands, but almost everybody in the church house here and in Branson and watching has crossed lines sexually. 
in their youth, in their teenage, college days, whatever, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism. People have done stuff. They cross or they called it experimenting or whatever. Well, how can you sit in judgment on somebody else doing the same or similar thing that you did? You just didn't do it as long. You didn't go as far. Oh, it's quiet in the church house. We are not talking about judging people for their sin. All of us have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. What we are saying is we will not say something's good and okay when God said it's wrong and it's evil. And for that, you will be persecuted. But are you willing to identify with Christ? The Bible said, let us go with him outside the gate and bear his reproach. It's talking about he had to carry his cross and they took him outside the gate to Golgotha and nailed him like a common thief and a murderer. He bore that reproach for us. But we should bear reproach for him too. If somebody wants to kick us out, if they want to slander us, cuss us, call us names, let's stay kind. Let's not judge them, but also let's not allow ourselves to be conformed. That's right. right. Don't allow yourself to be conformed. What what do you believe about that? To the best of my understanding, I believe this book. I believe this book. I submit to God and his word as my ultimate and my final authority on these issues and I refuse to compromise what he said if he said it that's right if the whole world disagrees with it he's still right and the world is wrong wouldn't be the first time (laughs) Deuteronomy 22.5 now before I uh, before I read this I think I need to uh, Read something else. Hold your place right there. Go to Matthew 5 or they'll put it on the screen for us. Because if you go to read an Old Testament verse, a lot of times people want to shut you off right there. They say, that's Old Testament, Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us. Listen, it's not old God, new God. (laughs) It's old covenant, new covenant. God has not changed and never will change. He doesn't need to. He's not adjusting what he has said or done or or how he sees things for any culture or any group. He's right. And the Bible said, let God be true. Anybody, everybody that else disagrees with him, every man a liar. Because he is. And it will be demonstrated and shown before this is all over. Ephesians 5.10 Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that you? That was about four people said yeah, yeah. <laughs> when were you persecuted? For right. For standing up for what's right. Verse 11 Blessed are you When men shall revile you, that's not nice, persecute you, 
shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Not just because you lied and stole, but because standing up for the Lord. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And that's a lot different from going and crying and feeling sorry for yourself. Because people are being mean to you. This is being strong. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Come on, somebody say that loud. I'm the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You and I are not to be bland and we are not to blend. We are supposed to be hot and spicy and salty and stand out. (laughs) Verse 14, you are the light of of the world. Come on, say it out loud. We are the light of the world. He said, a city that's set on the hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, good stuff, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, how many agree with all of that? Do you? How about this next verse, verse 17? Think not, I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass. Has heaven and earth passed yet? Not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whoever will break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever will do and teach them, the same will be called great in the kingdom of God. He had no New Testament. He's referring completely to the Old Testament. It's not old God, new God. It's old covenant. Our covenant has changed with him, not our God. I thought you maybe should hear that before we read these scriptures. Go to Deuteronomy then. Deuteronomy 22.5. The woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are abomination to the Lord your God. The NET says a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor should a man dress up in women's clothing. Anyone who does this is offensive to the Lord your God. Has he changed on that? This is transvestite, transsexual. Do we have an answer on these things? Whether you like it or not, did the Lord say something about it? What do you believe? That'll make you stand out. Even when it's playing stuff, men shouldn't be putting on dresses. Women shouldn't be trying to see how masculine they can look. According to the Word of God. Go with me to Leviticus 18, 22. I heard a man say one time, who was a, he said he was gay, he was homosexual, and he said he wouldn't stay in certain hotels 
Because he knew they had Bibles in them. In the rooms. And he knew they had this verse in it. Heard him say that. Leviticus 18.22. He despised it so much. That if he knew there was a Bible in the room. That had that verse in it. He wouldn't stay there. But is Leviticus 18.22. The word of God. Can we just throw it away? Can we say. It's Old Testament, so it doesn't matter. I just read you a whole passage. Jesus said, if you say that, you'll be least. You shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. The NIV says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Verse 23 goes on to say, do not have sexual relations with an animal. And defile yourself with it. BBE. Basic English says. You may not have sex relations with men. As you do with women. It is a disgusting thing. The New Living Testament says. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man. As with a woman. It is a detestable sin. You believe that or not? Go to the New Testament. Romans chapter 1. I'm not hating on anybody. One of the big things I care about is our young people. And they are being pushed so hard to consider if they are homosexual or lesbian. These days, if, uh, I mean, if a boy happens to wear a pink shirt to school, they're liable to send him to the counselor. Who for the next two hours will try to convince them that they're homosexual. This is wrong. I said this is wrong. And there is tremendous pressure to shut us up about this. Tremendous pressure. Should we shut up? No. Should I be afraid? No. Should I be willing? If need be. To suffer for preaching this. Should you be willing? Is persecution still a thing today? It's never gone away. Did I write this? Did you write this? Is it okay to despise the Bible? And to tear whole pieces of it out and say that doesn't apply anymore. Let's throw that away. Or to imply God's changed his mind. When did God change his mind? Now, do not misunderstand me. He doesn't hate people that are in these lifestyles any more than he hates people who are fornicating or people who are committing adultery or people who are lying and stealing. He doesn't hate them, but he hates this. In fact, if you go back and look at it, the promised land was occupied before he gave it to the Israelites. And he warned them specifically about sodomy and about idol worship. He said, if you do these things, he said, that's the reason these people are being kicked out. He said, the land is vomiting them out. I'm quoting scriptures. Because of their practices. I've heard people say, well, Jesus never said one word about being gay and lesbian. Well, no, those words 
weren't in use like that at that time. But you're implying that Jesus is in disagreement with the Old Testament? No. You're implying that Jesus is in disagreement with the rest of the New Testament? No. And it's not true anyway. He talked about Sodom. He talked about Gomorrah. He talked about why it was destroyed. Yes. Why did Jesus say the world hated him? Because he said the works of the world were evil. And he wouldn't say it was okay. And they hated him because of it. Romans 1, are you there? Is Romans in the New Testament? In Romans 1, 21 in the NIV. Can you take a little bit more time with me tonight? I don't know when I'll go into this much detail on this again, but I... I, Why am I doing it? I care about our young people. You've already heard me say that. Our young people should be able to have a a God-blessed marriage. Right? And the kind of family without going through the torment and the vexation and the repercussions of these other so-called alternate lifestyles. And uh, they need to know what we believe. They need to know what they believe. So when they are pushed, and they will be at school, and when they are pushed even more at college, Mm -hmm. and when the government itself is passing laws that completely disregard and contradict the Word of God, what are you going to do? Well... When the, when the apostles were called in front of the council and commanded not to preach and teach anymore in the name of the Lord Jesus, what they say? They said, well, you, uh, you judge whether it's better for us to obey, obey you or God. And they wouldn't quit. And they beat them. And then later on, they murdered some of them. They, they were martyred. But what if you did get martyred? The moment you slip out of your body, who you going to see? Who you going to see? You want to meet him after you've supported the world and conformed to the world for decades? No. Or you want to meet him saying, Lord, I was doing my best to stand on what you said. Do what you said. Looks like you got me in trouble here, but I'm with you now. I don't feel like trouble now. <laughs> Romans 1.21 NIV. It says, although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Keep reading. I'm going to read the next several verses. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. Now, now don't misunderstand. Didn't say God gave them this he let them go in what they chose he turned them over to what they chose over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator there's a big move on right now in our own country to worship the earth instead of the God that created the earth It's called green religion. And it is a religion. The earth is not our mother. Worship and serve created things rather than the creator whose forever praise. Keep going. 
Because of this, God gave them over. Didn't give them, he just left them to it. Gave them over to it. Shameful lust, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. That's talking about women and women. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. The Amplified says in verse 27, the men turned from natural relations with women and were set ablaze with lust for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men, suffering in their own bodies and personalities the inevitable consequences and penalty of their wrongdoing and going astray, which was their fitting retribution. And so since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God or approve of him or consider him worth knowing, God gave them over to a base and condemned mind to do things not proper or decent, but loathsome. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. Are these New Testament passages? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now the word for effeminate is a soft man. And the abusers of themselves, that word's literally sodomite. Sodomites, those who lie with men. He said, uh, verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now we're not saying that one of these is just far and away worse than the rest of them. But all of these are shown to be wrong and unacceptable to God. And will disqualify you from inheriting the kingdom. Didn't say you'd be lost and damned to hell. Now you've got to watch about what you, what you say. But it said you wouldn't inherit the portion that you should in the kingdom. This is not about hate. This is about the Bible. Do we believe the Bible? Yes. Or not? There, I know of uh, TV networks, thinking of one right now, that allows preaching but forbids you to preach on the chapters I just read to you. If you read these chapters and preach on these chapters, they will not carry your program. We're talking about Romans and 1 Corinthians and other New Testament passages. Now I know that there is so much pressure. Have you noticed Every modern TV show has a gay couple, has a lesbian couple, has others. And the the list, like I said, of the letters is growing every few months. And people say, well, you just hate. You can't help who you love. And why can't people love who they want to love? You can. You can do anything you want to. But don't say it's all right with God. Yeah. Don't say it's all right with him. Mm-hmm. And yet, I saw the uh, the tenants of a certain church. Now, granted, they're a little bit on the edge. They're not what we'd call mainstream. 
But they actually said in their tenets, they wanted everybody to know that they married same-sex couples. And they approved of it. And that the Bible was just one of many books that they drew wisdom from. And that the Bible was not the final authority. They actually said that on their page. But you would, you would glean things, and especially like what they call the poetry in the scriptures. And you would glean good things from it, but you had to bring it into the modern perspective of how to apply it. That is being conformed. To this world. It's not about hate. People say, well, I, I've got my rights, I've got my rights. Do we have any rights? Yes, we do. Not to hate, not to be mean. Not to, now, the Lord is completely against anybody trying to hurt anybody else. Right? Anybody trying to demean. And, and I know people will say, well, you're doing that right now. But no. There's no hate in this. There's love in this. I care. I talked to a man just not too long ago who for decades was in this lifestyle, the gay lifestyle. And he he heard the message of grace and realized that God would still love him no matter what kind of lifestyle he was practicing. And that's true. How many know God would love you if you're committing adultery? He still loves you. If teenagers are committing fornication, God still loves them? Certainly he does. Is what they're doing okay? No. Is he approve of what they're doing? No. No. But he, he heard the message of grace and he actually drew back to God and began to pray again and began to read his Bible. But he didn't believe he could be free. He didn't believe, he, he, he had been in this so long, his feelings, his personality, everything. But again, whatever spirit you yield to, you take on those characteristics and qualities. And if you've done it for 40 years, well, you think that's who you are. It's ingrained in you. But he heard one of our series about the authority in the name of Jesus and, and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in, in freedom. And he got completely free. He came to believe that he could be free. And he has been for some time now completely free. Happy. Happy. So that's, that's that conversion therapy. No, I didn't try to give him any kind of therapy. I didn't even know him. There you go. I preached. Amen. And I taught. Amen. Verses. Yes. Out of the Bible. And these verses have the power. They are more powerful. Hallelujah. And they're sharper than any two-edged sword. They can pierce right through you. And right through any problems or junk or in you know habits or addictions that you've had and can separate you from it oh somebody say glory to God and can give you the power 
to be who God intended for you to be. Me, nor you, nor anybody is supposed to allow our desires to define us. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. My desires don't define me. My feelings don't tell me who I am or what I am. You know who I am? I'm in Christ. That's who I am. I'm who he says I am. I'm what he says I am. And any feeling or desire that's not in line with that, I am to cast it down. I am to resist it. Is that right? Resist. Not just go with it. I'm to resist it. Resist it. Yield to his spirit. Resist every wrong spirit. And yield, no matter how I grew up, no matter what I've been involved with in the past, when you know it's wrong, when you know it's contrary to the word, yes. stop yielding to it. Yes. Stop embracing it. Start yes. resisting it. Yes. And yield to the Holy Spirit. Yes. And if you yield to Him, you take on His characteristics. Yes. Yes. Oh, come on, can you see this? You take on the Holy Spirit's qualities. Yes. What are those? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You become like the master. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. You're yielding to his spirit. You take on his qualities. You take on his characteristics. The Bible said even concerning the disciples in the beginning days of the church, when they saw some things happen, they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they're talking like him. They're acting like him. They're praying like him. They're walking in authority like him. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In closing, I think. We'll see. Go to John 13th chapter. Thanks be to God. Now, let, let me say this again. Don't argue with people about what you believe versus what they believe. Just don't do it. Give them a scripture. Make it between them and the Lord. And if they say, well, I don't believe that book, then they've got much bigger problems than their sexual orientation. So there's no need in y'all fighting and wrestling about that because if they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they're lost. And sexual orientation is not their big problem. Or anything else. Lying, stealing, fornication, adultery, any of these things. If people say they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the Bible, it is futile, it is useless For you to wrestle with them about your opinions and your convictions and your beliefs. What they do need to see, if they see you, is a light. A light of what's right. A light, not a holier than thou, judgmental attitude. Like I said, you have sinned yourself. Ain't no need in raising a hand. 
It'd be hard to find adults in this building and in Branson who had never crossed the line sexually. Well, if you did, why are you going to judge them for doing a similar thing? Well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's sin. Everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Lord's looking at the heart. He's not just focused on the outside stuff alone. He's looking. That matters what you do with your body. We've already talked about that. But that's in connection with your heart. Are you walking in the light that you have? Are you doing what you know to be right? And if you're doing the best you know, that's all anybody can do. But when you get more light, you need to walk in it. And here's the question. You know, if you're convinced this is okay, whatever it is we're talking about, and if you find out from the Lord that he says it's not okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The Bible tells us that this is how men will know we are his. The New Testament commandment. Are you there? John 13, 34. What does it say? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now this is talking about loving your fellow believer. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the New Testament commandment is not to love the world. It's to love each other. We do care about people that are outside. But what he's talking about is how I treat you and how you treat me, which is one of the reasons the enemy works so hard to get Christians to treat each other like dirt judge each other and churches and denominations to fight because it destroys our witness. That you love one another how? As I have loved you. That you also love one another. You can express to people no matter what lifestyle they're in that you care about them. They may think it's condescending. They may think you're an old religious fool. Whatever. They can think what they want to. But if you genuinely care about them. And what happens to them. In their life. That will come through. Whether they want to see it or hear it or not. I do care about you. As a person. But I'm not going to agree. With your lifestyle. That violates 40 scriptures. Not going to say, doesn't mean I hate you. It means I love God and I love His Word. And that's my standard. That's my authority. Somebody say, love one another. Verse 35 By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love again to each other. One of the biggest things we should have. It's instead of arguing with people about whether their same sex is in a relationship is, is okay or not. If you are married, it's possible that people can see Christ and the church Amen. by watching you. <laughs> and nobody has that except godly believers, man and woman in a covenant. That's right. That's right. Anybody said they did, lied about it. Because yeah. you can't get it. Yeah. 
any other way. Somebody say Christ and the church. Answer to every question. In marriage. This is our light. Remember he talked about in that passage, let your light so shine. People may see those good things. How we treat each other. Not wrestling with them, arguing with them about what you believe, what I believe. How I treat my wife. How she treats me. In front of believers and in front of unbelievers. Is one of the biggest things going on in our life that will have an impact. Because the people are out of the will of God. If they're doing things contrary to the will of God, and we're doing the will of God, whether they admit it or not, they will see things in our relationship that they don't have and cannot have. And if they're honest, they'll want it. (laughs) Right? Not acting holier than thou, not trying to preach to somebody all the time or push something off on them. It's not preaching what to do, it's living what to do for ourselves. We do it first and foremost for ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But is it true that it is a, to be a living type of Christ and the church? Somebody say Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Is it possible for people to see Christ and the church, though they have never heard one preached message, could they see Christ in the church? By looking at a godly man, godly woman, love each other, keep covenant, walk in love with each other, walk in faith together, have an anointing on their lives. You can't get that in the world. Can't find it anywhere, in any other religion, in any other belief system. You cannot find it. It's light. It's life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's peace, it's joy, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's one of the reasons the devil fights marriages and families so hard to destroy them so that people do not see this picture of heaven on earth. It's possible in a godly marriage and a godly family to literally have days of heaven. On the earth. No, that doesn't mean everything's going to be heaven on earth. Doesn't mean you're not going to have any challenges or intense discussions. But (laughs) if you will, every time something comes up, if you get a hold of your flesh and say, stop it now, what does Christ do with the church? Come on, are y'all with me? No matter what you feel, what you think, I'm not going to conform to the, all the junk the world's doing. I've got to be transformed yes. by this word and anointing to do this. And if the wife would say, now hold on, hold on. What am I doing? What am I doing? The church is not supposed to do this with Christ. Can you see what we're talking about? And when I actually do it, even if I'm not doing it perfectly, but my heart's there. And if she's actually doing it, even if imperfectly, if her heart's there, the anointing's going to be on it. The presence of God. Can you see this? The presence of God is going to be there, and people will see things you don't even see. They'll see grace. They'll see peace and joy. Love. You cannot get any of this in the world. So we must not be conformed 
to the world who doesn't have this and not even give them an example of what could be. (laughs) No, we're not saying, look at us, we're perfect. You know that's not right. We know that's not. But if we endeavor and our heart's there, he'll see it and he'll manifest his spirit on our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And others will see it. Glory to God. I know Phyllis used to work in doctor's offices and she'd hire people and train them. And a lot of the young ladies she hired had problems. They were unbelievers. Their young husbands were unbelievers. And I mean, their husbands beat them and they did crazy stuff. And I mean, when, when you're an unbeliever, it's not good. And I remember more than once she would uh, talk to him about the Lord Phyllis Wood at the right time and place. Sometimes she'd bring him home. And I remember uh, more than once she'd bring a young lady home. and You could tell she was just, I mean, hadn't slept for days just going through. You can experience just like days of heaven on earth. You can experience some hell on earth. Yes. In bad relationships and wrong marriages and relationships. And uh, this young lady I'm thinking about, man, she was so distressed. She was so distraught. And uh, I came in and, and Phyllis said, uh, you think you could just play the piano and sing a song maybe for, you know, just to the Lord? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. And I went, I said, you know, dear, just stretch out over there on the couch. And they put a little blanket or whatever and started singing. The presence of the Lord came. <laughs> she dozed off and uh, Phyllis said you know go, go in the bedroom in there and shut the door and lay down and she slept for like three days <laughs> there was peace in there yeah. Phyllis and I are not cussing each other right, right. nobody's slapping each other come on <laughs> hey, hey. I didn't say we had it perfect but we had learned a few things and Right? Don't slap each other, right? We we had that. Don't cut, quit cussing. That we had that. <laughs> Making progress. And uh, when she came out of there, she literally looked like a different person. I had to look twice because all that tension and all that hate and all that stuff—it was just gone off of her. Why? Different environment. Come on, can you see that? How many think every child should have the opportunity to grow up in an environment of peace, grace, love, joy? No matter what people say, when you're violating God's words and his laws and his ways, you will not have this peace in your household. You will not have this kind of love. Didn't say you didn't care about them. I'm talking about a love beyond human love. I'm talking about the love of God. Which is beyond feeling. Let's go to the chapter we've been reading all week. The great love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Anybody read their chapters this week? Let's read it again. And think about this. Every year, the Lord brought this to my attention. You know, we have, when you put Branson, you put this place, and you put 
everybody online, we have uh, thousands of people that are involved in this every year, the marriage meeting. And um, the Lord quickened to me. He said, you know, every year when you come back, there are people that are not there. They've gone on. Hadn't thought so much about that. But I'm sure that's right. There are people that have gone on. And he prompted me. He said, how would you treat your spouse if you knew they weren't going to be here next year? How would you treat your husband? It's so easy to get into a routine and act like we're going to live together. We're going to be down here forever. When you might only have a short time left together. Would it change the way you treat them? Wise people will live today and treat people today so I don't have regrets tomorrow. I've seen people, I've seen men and women just crying profusely at the casket uh, where their husband or wife's body is and just I, I've had them grab me and go I didn't treat them right I didn't treat them right I didn't appreciate them like a oh and just and just be in a you had, you had to minister to them to try to help them well for one thing are they a believer yeah are you a believer yeah you're gonna see them again real soon y'all can talk about it <laughs> You hear people say, yeah, but I, I didn't get a chance to tell them. And before they left and I didn't, you're going to see them again. Real soon. If you live another 50 years, it'll go by like that. You'll see them. So don't act like those who have no hope. But it's just better when something comes up on your heart, say something nice for your spouse, go ahead and say it. Help me out, help me out. Just go ahead and say it. Something comes up on you, your heart to do something nice for your spouse. Don't say, well, you know, maybe, maybe next year, maybe 10 years, maybe. Do you have 10 years? Do you know that? They got to be led, but you got to watch about putting things off indefinitely because you can wake up one day and your time is gone. You don't have the time. Let's treat each other. So we have no regrets. Right? Tomorrow. Or next year. Or next ten. How are we going to treat them? The first Corinthians 13 way. The God kind of love way. First Corinthians 13 one. I'm reading the living Bible. The living Bible. He said if I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them. And could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth. But didn't love others. I'd only be making noise. There's some people that think they're all that. Because they do a lot of talking in tongues. But according to this. You can talk in tongues day and night. Forty different languages of men and of angels. And if you don't walk in love. It doesn't mean anything. You had not accomplished anything. We believe that or not. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what's going to happen in the future, if I knew everything about everything, but I didn't love others, what good would it do? It's not about how much you know. 
There are people that are, are considered brilliant and geniuses by other people. And they are not nice people. Nobody can live with them. And they're miserable people. Some of these people commit suicide before they're 50 years old. They are so miserable. Being so smart doesn't make you good or happy. Now, I'm not advocating dumb. <laughs> but you being so impressed with yourself about how more intelligent you are will not assure you any kind of enjoyable life. How do you treat other people? How do you treat other people? He said, even if I had the gift of faith so I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I'd still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatever. You could give a billion dollars to charity. And if you didn't have a heart to care about people, if you did it for publicity or as a write-off, didn't mean a thing in the eyes of God. Doesn't make you anything. Verse 4, tell me about this God kind of love. Patient and kind. Not just patient put up, but kind while you being patient. What's the opposite of, of patient and kind? Impatient. Mean. I hear somebody say mean. That's it. Impatient and mean. Okay, so if you're impatient, you got no patience with your spouse, you're mean with them, and they're not here tomorrow. How are you going to feel about that? People are leaving here all the time. They tell us somebody, two people leave this earth somewhere almost every second. Two more, two more, two more. One of these days, me and you, out of here. Said out loud, Lord God, God, help me me. treat my family, treat my my friends, treat treat everybody around me, me. so that I have no regrets. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is how you do it. Love is never jealous or envious. You should never be threatened, men, by your wife's success. You should be happy for her. Well, that was weak, wasn't it? <laughs> what if she makes a lot more money than you? Y'all in covenant together. Is that right, y'all? Y'all in covenant together. Have you ever read about the, the Proverbs 31 woman? Huh? That's right. Have you noticed the parts about the man in there? Talks about this woman. How beautiful she is. She dresses in these purple robes. She considers a field. Buys it. She's making money off of textiles. Fabrics. Clothing. Fashion industry. Said her husband is known when he sits in the gates. He's known. He comes on. She says, baby, I just sold that piece of real estate over the other day. Made $500,000. You did. You are truly a virtuous woman. (laughs) 
If you love somebody, you're not threatened, you're not envious, you're not jealous. Why? You you happy if they excel you. You're happy if they demonstrate more intelligence than you. And if you're on the same team, that's your wife. It's a reflection on you. That's your husband. Reflection on you. Now we, you think we'd know this. But man there are husbands and wives everywhere. Just running each other down. People get their spouse out in public. And just tell all their failures. And just mock them. And they don't know. You're doing that to yourself. You're doing that. You're telling everybody what a failure. And what a mess up they are. And they look at you and go. Well you're the one married her. Husbands, the better she does, the better you look. Wives, the better he does, the better you look. Y'all are covenant. Not envious, not jealous, not boastful, not proud. Keep going. Never haughty or selfish or rude. Is it okay to be rude at home when nobody else is around? Well, if you're not going to be rude, what are you going to do? You ask instead of demand. You use words like please and thank you. With Harry, yes. With Harry. People say, well, I, I can't wait till I get home so I can just let my hair down, be myself. Well, who are you being? Out in the world. That's called fleshing out. And it's not okay. And if you do it, you'll regret it. One of you's probably gonna go before the other one. It's rare to go at the same time. And uh, you'll sure be glad if you were kind. Right? If you were not rude. What does it hurt? Ask your spouse, are you busy? Could you do this? Thank you. Or, you are busy. I'll get that. I got it. I got it. No, don't get up. I got it. Are we supposed to be polite with each other? Are we supposed to be kind? Not demanding. Somebody said, not demanding, not demanding. Kind. Are we reading scriptures here? Not haughty, not selfish, not rude. Love does not demand its own way. There's certain things, phrases, when you're tempted to say them, you should grab yourself and go, that's contrary to the love of God. You've got to watch about going, and, you know, I've, I have my rights. That's not what this says. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Oh, boy. Whoa. Not irritable? <laughs> Ever? And, and people will say, that's not even possible. You, you calling the word of God a lot? You saying God's telling you to do something he knows you can't do? I want you to say this out loud. The love of God, the love of God has, been abroad has been shed abroad in my heart, in my heart by, the Holy Spirit. by the Holy Spirit. I never, I never have to be unkind. Impatient, Impatient. rude, Rude. selfish, Selfish. touchy, Touchy. 
I never have to be. If you make a mistake, repent. And if you did something with them, don't just repent to God. You didn't just say it to God. You didn't just jump on God and yell at God. You did it to them. So you need to come and say, I I, I raised my voice. I, I didn't need to do that. That was sharp. I've had to tell Phyllis sometimes, you know, I, 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 I responded too quick, too hard. I, maybe you're tired, whatever, but that's no excuse. And when you realize it, you need to say, I, I'm sorry. You need to speak up. Yes. Yes. Oh, they know I love them. You need to speak yes. up. Yes. And you need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was too... That was too strong. That was too harsh. And because, uh, you know, you live together very long. There will be opportunities on both sides of this. It's not irritable. This, this is amazing love, isn't it? It's not touchy. How about this? It doesn't hold a grudge. And will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Another translation says it keeps no record of suffered wrongs. If you walk in love like the Lord tells you to, people will think you're naive. But you'll be so secure you don't care. Somebody comes up and slaps you, bam! You'll go, what happened? You tripped. And your hand fell across my face. You see, a little bit later, it says it always believes the best, right, about somebody. And it keeps no, no record. It doesn't keep, you know, you can see a lot of people. Somebody does them wrong, you, you can see it in their eyes. Hmm. <laughs> and it's true, man. I mean, they mark them off of their book, buddy. And it's, that's like an unsaved man. That's like an unsaved woman. Doesn't hold grudges. Hardly even notice when others do it wrong. Praise God. It's never glad about injustice. No matter who it is, how mean they are, what they've done, we don't want to see them perish. No matter how many times they had to get it right, how bad they mocked you or laughed or cussed or whatever... If judgment comes on them, you're never happy about it. You never look at it and go, see, well, you got what you got coming to you. Never, never, never. You, you wish they could have avoided it. You'll even look and say, could have said something else. Could have done, not for condemnation, but you always want to try to help. You're never, it, God's not willing that any should perish. And if you're like him, you're the same way. No matter how much the world says they got what's coming to them, they deserved it, you never feel that way. You want to see everybody get free. Everybody get saved. Everybody get healed. Everybody get blessed. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. These verses that we've been reading about that a lot, much of the country would mock us and despise us for even reading. What will that truth do for you? Help me out. What will that do for you? No matter what people think, it can make you free. And the sad thing is people don't realize how terrible of a bondage they're in. 
and they're fighting for their rights to stay in bondage. And many don't see it. Love rejoices when the truth wins out. Keep going. Verse 8. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You won't lie for him. You won't lie for anybody. But you won't forsake them. Even if other people write them off. No matter the cost. You'll always believe in them. Always expect the best of them. Always stand your ground in defending them. Praise God. Verse 8. The special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end. But love goes on forever. Someday prophecy and speaking in tongues, languages, these, these things will disappear. But down at the end here in verse uh, 13. There are these three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these. More than being able to quote scriptures. More than praying night and day. More than going to church all the time. By what shall all men know? That we're the real deal. We're Jesus' own disciples. How we treat each other. We should treat each other so good that everybody outside wants to join the club. We really should. We should treat our spouses, we should treat each other so good that our children grow up wanting what we have. And that their friends that come over to visit that are not saved or their house is not saved see it and want that too. And when they grow up and have the same kind of godly marriage or even greater than ours, the people they work with see it. And even though they say they don't believe in God, they can't get away from the fact, yeah, but they're happy and I'm miserable. Yeah, but they have peace and I'm on five drugs. Come on, can you see this? Yeah, I partied and did everything and slept with five people and tried four new pills and I feel like a wreck and I wasted all my money and they come in and talk about they had a picnic with their kids and they're happy, happy, look at it, (laughs) maybe I've been lied to, maybe the devil told me that this Christian thing ain't no fun at all. But they look like they're having fun. They look like they're happy. God just gave them a new house. I just got an eviction notice. Come on, can you see this? God just healed their babies. And I've spent the last three months going from doctor to doctor to doctor and they can't figure out what's wrong with mine. There are benefits. I'm serving God. Yes, it is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Doesn't mean we don't have any challenges. Don't mean we get everything right. But we know who does. Yes. We know who's got the answer. Yes. We know where to go. Yes. The greatest of these is love who is God. Who is love who is in us. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet everybody. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. Phyllis, would you please come?
You want to add anything? I was thinking about something Brother Hagen said. How many of you in here have kids? Yeah, I was thinking about this as he was talking about all the uh, gay and lesbian stuff. I just want to make sure we understand the difference in some of that in loving people. Say you have a child and, and it does something wrong, I mean really bad wrong. Does that mean you no longer love that child? It just means you don't love what that child did. It did something wrong. Say you have a teenager and it has sex before it gets married. Does that mean you no longer love that child? It just means you don't love what they did. Brother Hagen said the Lord told him this. It's real short. I'm not going to keep you. It said uh, here in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, the Bible says that if we won't judge ourselves, the Lord will judge us. Well, the Lord will judge us more for more than just for physical sins. He will judge us also for spiritual sins. Only the Lord can see spiritual sins. In fact, Jesus told me once when he appeared to me in a vision, I'll judge my people more quickly on spiritual sins than I will on physical sins. What did he mean by spiritual sins? Well, for instance, spiritual sins are hidden motives and attitudes. You and I don't know the motives behind people's actions, but Jesus does. You can't see motives. People can do the right thing for the wrong motive and get a demerit instead of a blessing because their motive is all wrong. It's not based on love. You and I see attitudes, but God can't see attitudes, but God can. Our motives and our priorities have to be right or God can't bless us like he wants to. That's why it's so important to develop our God kind of love so our motives are pure. In ministering to people, it's so important about that, that our attitudes and our hearts are right, that we love them, and we want them to know that we love them. It's not about that we... We are against something that they're doing. We want them to know that we're for them. It's not about that we're against something. It's that we're for them. There's a big difference in being against something and being for them. And you have to understand the difference in that. We're not against something. We are for them. And you need to get that straight in your head. We're not against something. We're for them, and we want them to be okay. Does that make sense in your heart and mind? That series, I believe, that Keith was talking about, if, if somebody wants to hear it or you know someone that might want to hear it, that really helped this young gentleman and other people that we've had that's listened to it or that you might know, I believe was transformed. And the one on in your control in your control 
are, are very good series about this. And we have people, if, if you are here in this building or you're out there watching on the Internet or you're in Branson, and it's an area that you want to overcome, you know, and you want to be free of, we are ready, willing, and, and the Lord helping, able to minister to people and Thank help you Lord. get free in these areas. Um, there will be people on the phones. There will be people up here. Dave and our other guys and stuff will be up here because we know this is an area that people People have struggled in and they have heard in and uh, we are for you we are not against you and and we love you and then the other side back to the marriage stuff for just a moment when Keith and I were having our troubles back years and years and years ago um, the most important thing that you can do when the devil's tried to tear your marriage apart is Put one foot in front of the other and not quit. That's the most important thing that you can do is just not quit. Maybe, and some people have gone so far, maybe you can't stay in the same room together. Or maybe you can't even stay, you know, around each other too much. But just don't quit. You know, just keep putting one foot in front of the other, and each day it will get easier. And even if you have to decide, well, we're going to spend 10 minutes together today, and we're not even going to try to talk about our marriage. We're just going to talk about another subject and just spend a little time together and begin to grow again and begin to fellowship on something totally different than the problems that you were having in your marriage and just begin to talk again. And don't try to fix everything right off the bat. Just begin to fellowship again and let the Lord begin to work things out in your marriage. And you just begin to spend time together and just, it'll gradually get better. It'll gradually get, but just don't quit. Start taking those steps back together, going in that direction. And the Lord will see you through because he loves you. Yes. And he'll help you get over to the other side. Yes, hallelujah. Can you say amen? Praise God. We are so blessed that you came. Praise We're so blessed God. that you're here. Thank you, Lord. And we believe God is for us. Thank and you, And he's going to help us through some yes, of these things. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for this, uh, this week and for our answers. Come on, let's just thank him for just a moment. Father, we thank you. We worship you. We glorify you. We magnify your holy name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for answers. Thank you for your grace and kindness and goodness. Your love that never fails, that never ends. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.